Last week, we uh, looked at the topic of the seven woes, and in fact, we only talked about the sixth and the seventh that was found in chapter 23 of Matthew, beginning with the 13th verse. We looked at that together, and we were astounded that as we looked at those things, Jesus' sharp words as he spoke to the Pharisees. We also looked at the time at the end of that chapter where Jesus walked out. Jesus walked out of the temple. He walked out for the very last time. He walked out never to return again. And he said, their glory has departed. We talked about that. Ichabod, the glory has departed. Well, would you please pick up your Bibles? We'll look at Matthew 24. Matthew 24, which follows in the sequence of the story in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 24, looking on. If you have that in your Bible, it'd be great. It'll be up on the screen if you do not. So in Matthew 24, we're picking up the story, continuing on where Jesus has walked out. This is very close to the time of the cross. And Jesus, verse 1, left the temple and was walking away with his disciples when he came to him calling attention to the buildings. They were calling attention. This is the model, the temple model there in Jerusalem that you could go see by the Dome of the Book. As we visited, you could see this model of the second term. This was the model of the temple as it may have looked at the time that Jesus was here on earth. And so they were looking at this, and they were extremely proud of that. All the Jews were proud of the beautiful building. And because of the white kind of uh, limestone and marble that it was made out of, it looked like there was snow on top of the mountain in the sunshine. It was a thing of national pride as they looked. And as they were walking out, as they were walking out, they turned and said, look at that building. Look at the building. Isn't that a beautiful building? And it truly was. And Jesus replied, do you see all these things? And he asked, truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down, the Bible says. And that prophecy was fulfilled to the letter in 70 AD when the 10th Roman Legion came in to Jerusalem. They held it in siege for a long time. And when it finally fell, they went in. They marched their horses right into the temple. When they saw all the gold on the walls, they set fires in the temple and melted the gold down off the walls. And then they took their horses and pulled every stone, all those big, huge stones, apart. And they pulled them apart to pick up the gold. So not one stone was left upon another when they were through. Well, as Jesus was telling them this, they were very shocked to hear this. They had to be shocked. Oh, come on, look at all the years that took to put together. That would never happen. God would not let that happen to his temple to have happen. And so they're shocked as they're continuing their journey. The Bible says as they were sitting, they went down the valley, down the valley, you can go up under the Mount of Olives, right across the valley. You can look back and see the temple square. You can see where the temple is. You can still do that today. And when Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him and said privately, they said, now tell us, they said. And asked him, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? They were basically asking him three questions. Three types of questions were there. Because inquiring minds wanted to know. They wanted to know that. They wanted to have an opportunity to think, how could this possibly happen? Please tell us. Let us know. So there were three basic questions there that they asked. When will this happen? When will that 
temple be knocked down? What are the sign of your coming? What will that will be the sign? And then what will be the sign at the end of the age? They separated the coming of the end of the age. They thought those in their minds was something different, which we look at in a different way. So they were looking at that and wanting to know that. This is the thing. There's an endless quest to know the when. Isn't there? You like to know, look into the future. Bible scholars, Christians, are. when is this going to happen? When is this going to take place? I'd like to know, if Jesus is coming soon, when is this going to happen? Well, I'll just take you on a little journey myself as I took my travel here. As I went through college, I was a graduate of Pacific Union College, and Oh, I should add this. This is the church there. Then See the church? It was built when I was there. I'll have you know that I had a handy part in laying the carpet in that church. Impressed? Well, maybe not. But anyway, while I was at the college and taking and working at the college and uh, going to school there, I had to take classes in preparing to be a minister. And so one of the classes that I took was by Robert Olson called The Gift of Prophecy. It actually was a focus on the life and the ministry and so forth of Ellen White, Ellen G. White. But it was called the gift of prophecy. And this particular class, this particular place that we were looking, we all theology students had to take it. And I was happy to. And he asked as part of the requirements for that class if we wouldn't make a closing events chart. So, as we would look, say, could you line out all the things that would be happening? As we look into the future, could you look into the Bible? Could you look into the writings of Ellen White? And so I did. Look into the writings, trying to lay out how all these things have been revealed to us in the Bible and in the writings of Ellen White. Could you make a chart to show how these things all fit together? And so I did. I got a nice big poster board. I wanted to make this great, so I took, I even at that time, we didn't have computer things, so, I, so we had to take a little leather, vinyl letters, they were printed away, I made them, and I had to print everything out. Oh, it was meticulous work that I worked at, then documenting it all for the quarter. While I had in mind, I had the close of probation, the time of Jacob's trouble, the seven last plagues, the millennium, the first resurrection, the second resurrection, the special resurrection, the New Testament, uh, New Jerusalem, excuse me, coming down, the lake of fire, and on and on and on and on. There were all kinds of things that were in my chart. It was impressive. Very impressive. So Adventists have had a tendency to look at putting things in a chart and how we could figure out where we are and where we are going. And we get that naturally from a man called William Miller. Now, William Miller had a chart. He had a chart that he had that he made sharing with people that Jesus was going to come in 1843-1844, and because you paid your money and came today, you're going to be lucky to see the chart. They will, I mean, this is amazing, aren't you? You're gonna, this will be something you will always remember here. This is the chart that he made. You can see it's the exact same one up there. Isn't it small? You think, oh, well, this is going to be a huge chart that's there. Actually, it wasn't that big. Now, mine says facsimile. Please ignore that because this is the original. <laughs> All right, it's not. But <clears throat> it's even copyrighted by some guy on the bottom. I don't know about that. But this is the, the chart that he had. If you would like a copy of this, you can 
somehow get one, I don't know. But anyway, that was, this was the chart that he had. And this chart, he taught all the prophecies coming out of the book of Daniel and out of the book of Revelation. He worked very hard to make them work together so he could see. And he was very creative and very good in putting it, the Bible together with the chart. And it is amazing. If you look at that, you can see here is the image out of Daniel. We see the beasts that were there. We all see the beasts out of Revelation, the ten horns. All those things are laid out in this chart with the dates that went with it. And it's amazing. You can see this afterwards. Please don't touch with Donetti hands. So you can see that. So that was something that was going. So all those prophecies and so forth were found in the book of Revelation that he worked on or in the book of Daniel. He pulled those all out, put them together, made his chart, made his proclamation. And then as he got acquainted with Samuel S. Snow, they set the date on the Day of Atonement coin, working on that Day of Atonement, and said that Jesus will appear on October 22, 1844. Now, if you've been paying attention, you may have noticed Jesus did not appear at the Second Coming on October 22, 1844. It's called what? The Great Disappointment. But I had my chart. And I worked it all out, and I had it, and I was so delighted when I was able to take it in at the end of the class, of the Gift of Prophecy class, take my chart, and it had all these quotations and all these things out of the Bible and out of the writings of Ellen White. I took it down, and you will never guess, I got an A for my chart. I got an A for my chart. Thank you very much. And I never yes, thank you. <laughs> I wish that had been the case for a lot of things. But anyway, an A for my chart. I put a lot of work into it. I impressed Robert Olson. That's a very beautiful chart he looked at. But you need to know this. Alan White never made a closing events chart. And she never asked anyone else to make one either. Which kind of gives you pause, doesn't it? And in actual fact, the Lord himself never made a closing events chart. But we're creative as Adventists. We were, we were able to put this all together. Want to know the when. And you might say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. What about Matthew 24 when he went through all that? Okay, if you got your Bible, we'll look at that. Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is considered the premier place where Jesus' sermon was given, where we could see and track down those events that happened that Jesus spoke to his disciples when they asked those three questions of him. And as he responded, he began to share, and we began to look at these events and these things. Now, we are able to sit, and I was able to match up history with Matthew 24, as many other Bible people do. I'm just not alone. I've looked, read, seen, understand. So if you'll go to Matthew 24, we're going to be at verse 4. The F stands for following. We'll start at verse 4 and go following text. So Jesus goes, and he answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, he said. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, 
and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Now we would say, that sure sounds like our world, does it not? Sure sounds like our world. But the very next line, Jesus said, and these are the beginning of the birth pains. Just at the beginning. Verse 9. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will be betrayed and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increased wickedness and the love of most will grow cold. But one of you, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus said, sounds like our time. And then verse 14, you may have it memorized, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a witness or a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The gospel we have looked at must go to the entire world. And as we've been speculating and looking as of people, we've been like, how could that happen? And before the internet and before all those things developed, we said, boy, it's going to be tough. Because there are two million people who have never heard the name of Christ in our world. But how could they be reached? And so we've thrown our efforts in to try to make that happen. Well, now as Bible scholars, we've been kind of, as Bible students, we've got to look at how do we parse that? How do we look at that part of Matthew 24? How do we put that kind of thing together so we can have some kind of a concept, some kind of an answer to give to that? And the way we do that is we say, well, Matthew 4 through 14, those four verses, those appear to apply to the time of the apostles when they were alive, the beginning of birth pains. And then we look and also see that that association of verses 15 through 20 seemed to apply to the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So you see, now we're seeing the words of Jesus as we take the text and we begin to apply to the historical process that we have been through. Hindsight is always 2020, as you know. And so we're looking back at that. And then we see Matthew 21 through 28 as leading up to the time of the Great Reformation where it says time was cut short, you see. Time was cut short in mercy. And we believe that the uh, 1798 prophecy, fulfilling in the end of the 1798 prophecy, was cut short when Martin Luther stood up. And Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Chapel in 1517. So we look at that particular passage, those events leading up to that. See how we're dividing up the passage of Jesus? Dividing that piece up? And then we go into Matthew 24, uh, 29, Matthew 24, 29, where you see the sun, moon, stars, and earthquake are all mentioned. And we see that happening in the 1700s, which I believe could happen again before the end of time. And then Matthew 24, 30 is the second coming. There we go. So Jesus lays this all out, this whole passage there for us. And we as Bible teachers and Bible scholars and as Bible students and people who are Christians looking, we start to lay out exactly what events fit where. And that's, that's fair. 
That's fair. Jesus went on in verse 32. Now, learn this. Lesson from the fig tree. As soon as the twigs get tender and its leaves become out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not certainly pass away until all things have happened. Have you troubled over that quotation? This generation will not pass. This generation. Well, Bible people are going to look at that and say, well, what Jesus was talking about, and many point to the problem, what was happening is Jesus was talking about, he was speaking about the apostles and all the events leading up to the fall of Jerusalem. They were alive during that time. And that's a possibility of what Jesus means. We don't know for sure. There are others who say, no, this is the last generation that Jesus was talking about who are going to witness the second coming of Christ. That generation. Because if we're specifically thinking that it's all those things are going to happen to the generation of which Jesus was speaking, we're in trouble. So we have to think of, in Jesus' terms, what was happening. And so heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Well, in the last 10 days or so, we've had some terrible things happen in our country, haven't we? Last uh, Saturday morning, remember, we were talking about this, what happened in El Paso. When that kind of thing happens, it just stuns me. And then to be followed up, and, and 13 hours later in Dayton, Ohio. And as we were here last, last Sabbath, some of us were speaking and said, oh, and as we look at that, are we near the end? Are these the things that show us the end? Okay, this is where this turns and twists. Okay? So you've got to watch out. Remember, Ellen White never made a chart. Jesus never asked us to make a closing events chart. He didn't make one. The story that we just cited out of Matthew 24 is repeated in Luke and somewhat in, in Mark. But in the Gospel of John, the fourth of the Gospels, which is called the theology one, in the Gospel of John, there is no closing events described. Isn't that interesting? He's the one who wrote the book of Revelation. But in his gospel, he never took and recorded the story of Jesus answering those questions the disciples were asking on the Mount of Olives. See, this is what Bible scholars and us who do these sort of thing get troubled over. It's missing. <laughs> Why? You would think John would say, oh, for sure, for sure, for sure. We'll do that. But why? But there is no closing events description lined out like you find in the other three Gospels. They're just not there. They're missing. This could be an answer. 
Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have not told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you will always be where I am. It's not the win. It's the who that's important. It's not looking to see exactly where I might be in history and how much closer, how much more time do I have before Jesus comes. The question is, when will he come and get me? It is the who. And it is our hope as Adventists not to know the exact time when Jesus will come. We're not to do that. The Bible says that Jesus was clear on that. But our desire, our, our purpose, our meaning of our hope is to be with him. That's it. Amen. That's what it is. So will we ever be with the Lord? Amen. The Bible makes it clear. We're not going to heaven as we are on some great God time clock to say, it's time to come, I'm going to go. We're going to go to be with our Lord. That is the reason for the resurrection. That is the reason for the second coming is because God wants to be with you and he wants you to be with him. That's it. That is our blessed hope. That is the hope that we hold in our hearts. That's why we have Adventists on it. Not so we can line out some kind of wonderful chart, as informational as that might be, but it is to have a relationship with the Lord in order that that be our hope, to be with Jesus. Amen. So a pastor was asking his congregation, if you were to go, go to heaven, would you still want to go to heaven if Jesus wasn't there? Well, in my chart, I would have said, Yes, because I had it all laid out. You see, I made my chart before I knew Jesus. I was pastoring before I knew Jesus. I knew about him. Oh, I could tell you, take you places with that. But I didn't know him. So there wasn't any real desire to be with him. But when I came to know Jesus as my Savior... When I finally got introduced to who he really was and a savior who loved me and accepted me and wanted me, then, it was then that I accepted Jesus as my friend. And it didn't matter if there was lions or lambs or trees of life or whatever. It's to be with the man who loved me and saved me. That's it. That is the bottom line. Dear Lord, I thank you for what you've revealed in Scripture and how you have helped us to understand and know the seasons and the times.
But Lord, so many times we can be focused on things that really are not important. Knowing when Jacob's time of trouble, or knowing when the close of probation, or knowing those are interesting things, but the real purpose, the whole thing, is to know the man, to know our Savior. And that's all that really matters. The rest is interesting, but Christ is the Savior. May we not be caught up in the when, but that we know the who. As our Savior and our Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your great truth and for sharing what you did in John 14, that where you are, we can be also. In your name, amen.